Fear, it follows us as we walk, like a shadow seeking to overtake us. It can be paralyzing, crippling when fear sets in. Fear of failure, fear of loneliness, fear of danger, fear of the unknown. We are aware that fear is close by, but we know our God is even closer. He walks with us. He never leaves us. The most repeated command in the Bible is do not be afraid. God knows that we will face it every day, but he gives us the courage to keep moving. He fills us with the strength and peace to know that he is greater than any fear that would try to hinder us. And when the night is closing in, he is already here with us, telling us, fear not. Trinity Church, it is good to see you on this 19th of July, this Sunday morning. Those of you who are watching with us live today, we want to welcome you. Those who are going to watch at a later date want to welcome you as well. And we're just so glad to get to be together in this forum, in this environment. Uh, it's, it's been a great reminder in these last few months. We have said for years that the church is not a building, it's not a campus. Now we are being asked to live that out and being reminded that we, you, the people of God, have always been the gathering, have always been the church. And today we are meeting in all kinds of environments all over the place. Like Chris said earlier, some out on vacation, on the road, others in your living room. And we're just glad we don't take it lightly that you would include us in your weekend plan. And we're grateful to get to be with you today. My name's Todd Arnett, lead pastor here at Trinity Church. I am so grateful for our good friend, Tim Jacobs, being here with us this last weekend, last Sunday, when I was out of town. And just in a phenomenal phenomenal job. He is our district superintendent for the EFCA and just really broke down two words that relate deeply to us as an evangelical free church. He just broke down what is the word evangelical and what does the word free mean and what do they mean to us as the people of God. So, so grateful for his time with us. So a yay God for him being available and being with us and just what a great job he did in bringing his word, uh, God's word to us. What I'm also excited about today is to be able to tell you about another yay God thing we've been working on for a long time, and that is our church app. If you've not done this, I don't care where you're watching from, I want you to get out your cell phone with me right now. I want you to go to, if you have an Android phone, go to Google Play. If you have an iPhone, go to the app store, type in Trinity Church. Redlands, and you will see an app that's been developed for us by the company that we're using with our online uh, giving called PushPay. They've done a remarkable job. I downloaded it last week when it was available. I love, probably my favorite thing, it's a great tool uh, for so many types of things. We've given the illustration before that it's like walking into Costco and everything you need is right at the front of the store, right there, and the app makes that available. But even for our time together today, there's a place that you can click under resources that goes to notes, and you can actually fill in fields digitally 
in this app to be able to have your notes from our time together today. I just love that feature among so many others and just would tell you, download it now. Some of you might even be watching right now through the app, so doing the notes might be a little bit challenging, but man, we're so excited for this. It's a great tool and we're excited to engage it. I also wanna say in the same breath that this was developed by the people who are helping us with our online giving. You have been consistently over the last four months continuing to give faithfully, obediently. God is meeting needs on every front, not just with our ministry fund, our general fund, but in our helps fund so that we might be freed up to be able to help people in our church family and in our community with your generosity. So I want to thank you for that. I want to encourage you continue to give with that kind of uh, obedience and thoughtfulness. Well, today you join us in week two of a brand new series called Fear Not. We began the first weekend of July. We pick it up again today. And I'm so excited to uh, dial in with you about a topic that is so necessary and needed for us right now. If you have a Bible today, I'd encourage you to open it to Joshua chapter one. That's the sixth book in the Bible. Start all the way at the beginning and you'll get to Joshua. If you turn there to chapter one, that would be great and that'll help us uh, dial in together. This series called Fear Not, Growing in Confidence Because of Who God Is. The reason we decided this series would be so essential, so helpful to us now is because these are fearful times. And this command I want you to hear, it's, it's the command most given in scripture, former covenant, new covenant, all over the Bible, 66 books, don't be afraid. And I want you to know that that directive, that command, doesn't come with a harshness. We've said before that at times you've said that to your kids, knock it off, stop being afraid of something that you shouldn't be afraid of. God doesn't talk to us like that. Instead, he comes, and he comes up alongside of us, and even though he doesn't need to say anything more than fear not, he always attaches something about his character, who he is, or about his relationship to us, whose we are. And for that reason, we can be a people who continue to grow in confidence rather than shrink back in fear. Today, we're gonna to pick up the narrative where we left it uh, a couple weeks ago. We started and we looked at this people of God that heard directly from Moses, don't be afraid, even though you have Egypt running behind you and you have a, a sea in front of you, it looks like there's nowhere to go don't be afraid, I'm going to deliver you. Today, we're gonna to pick up that story. That group of people have been wandering in the desert for 40 years. We're gonna see why that is. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna find ourselves in Joshua 1 at the very beginning of what to me was one of the eras in biblical history I would have loved to have been a part of, the new generation that was going to go in and experience God's generosity, experience God's faithfulness, experience God's promise fulfilled as they were going to go in and possess the land. It's on the brink of that time where we're going to pick it up today when God says directly to Joshua, do not be afraid. And why? Because I'm with you. I am with you. So here is our now what statement today that's going to carry us through and what my hope and prayer for you to embrace throughout the week. Though you may be walking into frightening circumstances, fear not because God is with you. 
number one in your notes today. Fear and discouragement follow a forgetfulness of God's presence. Fear and discouragement follow a forgetfulness of God's presence. Here we are, we're in uh, Joshua chapter one, beginning in verse one. Uh, You've been doing a great job reading at home. Let's continue that. I'll read it, you follow along with me. Read it out loud. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. Whoops. Uh-oh, Todd's batteries run low. There we go. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will, be extend, will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all of the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. Okay. Well, we're having some problems with our computer this morning, so uh, we'll see what we can do, see if we can figure it out. Let's keep walking. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, watch this, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn to it from the, to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And look at this last verse. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. There's that directive we see again and again. Do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's such important language, and we see that God continues to balance that idea of the reason you need not be afraid is because I'm with you. Now, this is where we pick it up today, but it's by far not the beginning of the story. Some of the context, we said that this people had been wandering in the desert for 40 years. And now, when I'm going to read to you in a minute from Deuteronomy 1. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible, just before Joshua, and it gives a time line. It gives some help. And what it's going to say is the majority of the journey that this people were on would have only lasted 11 days. So why did it take 40 years to travel 11 days? Was it because Moses was horrible at navigation? Was it because their GPS was broken? Or was it because out of their disobedience, God said, I'm going to continue to have you wander until I raise up a new generation who's willing to trust me. Look at this map, and you'll see a little bit of what I'm talking about. So listen to what it says, Deuteronomy chapter one, verse two. In parentheses, it says, it takes 11 days to go from Horeb, Mount Sinai, Horeb, to Kadesh Barnea, the the red line. Now, obviously, they wouldn't have gone directly straight, but I just wanted you to see those two locations. It takes 11 days to follow the the Mount Seir road. And then it says, in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, 
Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord commanded him concerning them. So what I want you to see is, is that though this journey should have only taken a few weeks for the whole thing to even leave Egypt all the way to the edge of the promised land, it takes them 40 years wandering in the desert because this people would not believe God for what he had promised to them. Rather than this new nation is not a group who, who were born as slaves in Egypt. Instead, they've been born as wandering nomads out in the wilderness. That's their heritage. That's who this group is. And they're finally going to realize the promise that their ancestor, their forefather Abraham, had been given by God. Now it's Joshua, Moses' apprentice, his protege, who's going to lead them. And we opened up our time today by reading God's words, Yahweh's direct words to Joshua about how he was going to lead and that he need not be afraid because God was going to be with him everywhere he put his foot. As we see that, um, what, what I appreciate again is just this ability for God to say, not just don't be afraid, but here's why you don't need to fear. I vow to be with you. Two times in these first nine verses of Joshua 1, God makes this direct promise to him, I will be with you everywhere you go. Question for you today, have you ever experienced that kind of confidence because of who you were with? Meaning these were frightful times, but you were with someone that you believed was going to get you through it. Maybe you're out on a hike and you got lost, but you were with someone that you knew you could count on and you knew knew the way home. Maybe you were out somewhere driving and your car broke down, but you were with someone who's a great mechanic and could get it fixed and get you back on the road. By the way, that means you were not with me because that is not a gift that I have and we would have both been afraid and just waited for the tow truck to show up. Maybe it was when you were on a sports team, some sort of athletic team, and, and you knew that when the chips were down, there was a player on your team that if you could just get the ball to him, to her, you knew everything was gonna be okay. Maybe you've experienced that before, that kind of high degree of confidence because of who you were with. The reality is, though, even if not all of us have ever experienced that, we've all experienced the opposite. We've all been in a situation before that caused fear to rise greatly because of the sense of we didn't know whoever was around us or just the fact that we were all alone. We were absolutely terrified to know what was gonna happen next. There was a season in my daughter Aaliyah's life when she was a little girl, that fear just began to really grip her life and Joanna and I were very concerned just about all the things that we could see in her lifetime then and forecasting forward that she was going to miss out on because of a deep sense of fear. And I remember in that season, I remember talking to her and saying, let's think of it this way. I don't want you to ultimately be looking to me for every part of your safety and security. I always wanted to focus my kids upon God for that. But in that season when she was a little girl, I said, let's think of it this way. You be my sheep, I'll be your shepherd. And when I'm around, just know that I'm gonna take good care of you. I'm gonna protect you from things around you that would be scary. I'm gonna provide for you and the things that you need. You can trust me, let me be the shepherd, you be the sheep. 
And so we've all experienced those times of fear because we felt like we weren't near someone who was going to provide. The challenge is that's not only true in a human level, it's been true related to our relationship with God. Now, it's not the fact that God wasn't present, but that you forgot that he was, and in turn, you allowed fear to take the wheel of your life. The most committed Jesus follower can quickly become a practical atheist when fearful circumstances arise and we forget that God is with us. I've been reading to you in this series from a book called Fearless by Max Lucado, and I even said maybe fearless seems like too big of a jump two weeks ago, then just read the title this way, Fearless. Fear less than you did before you read this book. And let me give you a quote today that's powerful on this idea. Man, I'm really having trouble with my computer today. We'll figure it out. Fear creates a form of spiritual amnesia. It dulls our miracle memory. It makes us forget what Jesus has done and how good God is. When fear shapes our lives, safety becomes our God. When safety becomes our God, we worship the risk-free life. Can the safety lover do anything great? Can the risk averse accomplish noble deeds for God, for others? No. The fear-filled cannot love deeply. Love is risky. They cannot give to the poor. Benevolence has no guarantee of return. The fear-filled cannot dream wildly. What if their dreams sputter and fall from the sky? The worship of safety emasculates greatness. No wonder Jesus wages such a war against fear. Man, those words to me are so powerful. And even in the songs that we've been singing today, you make me brave. God, because of who you are, because of whose I am, because you are present with me, you make me brave. That's why Jesus wages such a great war against fear. Now, by the way, when we go back to the context of Joshua 1, as inspiring and as exciting as this narrative is about to be, It can potentially be hard to apply to our own lives because not many of us are leading a group of people into territory where we've never been before. However, even as I say those words, those sound very actually uh, real to me and to our uh, ministry teams and our elders here at Trinity right now. But for most of us, that's not something that we're doing. But I want you to see how the author of Hebrews applies this assurance of God's presence to Joshua to our daily issues. This is what he writes. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, and here's that quote, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You don't need to be someone who's constantly wringing their hands and concerned about God's provision so much so that money becomes an idol in your life. Why? Because God says he'll never leave you He'll never forsake you. He will provide and protect. That's the application in our lives that even though we might not be able to relate to Joshua, we can absolutely relate to that. As we unpack more and more of the context of the words that were spoken directly to Joshua, I want you to see the reason that he led well. The reason that he was someone who walked with confidence is because he absolutely was assured that God would be with him. 
It wasn't because he was such a great leader and had been to Leadership 101. Though he had sat at the foot of Moses, it was absolutely the power and the presence of God that caused Joshua to be one of the greatest leaders in biblical history. Moses, the leader who had the challenge of not only leading a group of former slaves out of Egypt, but dealing with that grumbling, disobedient people for 40 years wandering in the desert, he actually turned to this protege, to Joshua, before he would die, and he said words just like what God himself would say in the very next book. Look at these words at the end of Deuteronomy 31. This is Moses to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. How powerful that Moses had predisposed Joshua to these words and then God himself clarified them when he came to him personally. Let's give you some more context today. Number two in your notes. When you make decisions based on fear, the consequences are significant because you're failing to trust God for what he has said. When decisions are made based on fear, the consequences are significant because you're failing to trust God for what he has said. Let's go back into the book of Numbers And uh, let's see what we see here. And this will set the context for why Joshua needed these words of encouragement uh, and confidence because the people that he was leading at one time had none. This is what it says. Read it with me. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. I think that's the end of my passage. So when you look at this powerful um, thing, I'm sorry, a couple more. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know that it is like what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which is banded together against me. They will meet their end in this wilderness. Here they will die. You see, this was the beginning of the turning point of the former slave's journey from Egypt to the promised land. God, this is our passage we looked at a couple weeks ago. God had miraculously, through these plagues, brought the people of Israel out. The Egyptians heaped wealth upon them, telling them, I don't ever want to see you again. God saves them through the parting of the Red Sea. God brings them to um, down to Horeb, to Mount Sinai. They receive the commandments of God. They make their way to Kadesh Barnea. 
And it's there at Kadesh Barnea, they send in spies to check out the land. 10 of those spies come back and say, the land is amazing, but it's filled with giants. But there were two, the two mentioned in this passage, Caleb and Joshua, who said, it doesn't matter how tall they are, God is bigger, God is stronger, God has given us this land, let's go. And it's at that point at Kadesh Barnea, the people of Israel side with the majority of the spies, the 10, and they say, we're too afraid. This is not going to happen. And they flatly reject to obey God and take his word that they could actually go in and possess this land. This narrative and, and what we read was God's response to it. This narrative is one of the linchpins in all of scripture And it's alluded to time and time again when people got to the brink of a a decision to have to walk by faith or walk by sight. That was really what this issue was all about. Every time that that kind of decision would, would be made and people would fail to choose faith, this passage was brought up again and again all throughout Scripture. Don't be like the Israelites at Kadesh Barnea who chose to walk by sight and not trust God in faith. This is a powerful, powerful passage and one that we need to have deeply and impressed upon our hearts. And we'll see in a minute, this narrative is is recorded in scripture for an example for us to know what not to do. It's also one of the most depressing passages in the Bible, not only because that generation of Israel missed out, but also because of the consequences that their decisions had for their own children. Children that they wanted to save and protect would be the very ones that God said they actually would lose. This older generation would die in the desert. It wasn't as though they were gonna die that day, but they had a death sentence that they wouldn't leave the desert alive. And as a result, their children would grow up. They would, we read it right in the text, they would suffer for their parents' disobedience. And they would grow up as nomadic shepherds rather than living and growing up in the land filled with milk and honey that they could have enjoyed had their parents walked by faith and not by sight. To the parents in that group, it must have been gut-wrenching news to hear that their very children, the very ones that were trying to protect, would be the ones that were going to suffer because of their parents' fear. It's just got to be hard for any parent to process, and that's not something that only happened thousands of years ago. It's something that parents struggle with today. As a parent and a family pastor for many years, uh, this passage has always been very significant to me because it was all based on the idea of parents being afraid for their children that they wouldn't step out in faith. And I've thought about this a lot, not just in the families that I have walked with, but in my own family and raising our kids as well. By rejecting uh, to obey God and trust him with their children, this generation would be separated from them by death in the desert, and their children would actually be the ones who would go in and possess the land. It makes me think of other ways that we can act at times, thinking that we're protecting our children from something bad, but in, in reality, we're actually not preparing them well for what's going to come in life. You and I have heard many speakers, especially those who work in parenting ministry, talking about by trying to shield our kids from challenges, trying to shield our kids from trials. We're just simply not preparing them to be able to not only live well, but to be able to trust God. It's not about them trusting you. 
At the end of the day, you want to attach their trust to the living God who never makes a mistake. I think of another way that it was very timely with this week, and many of you got the news on Friday that for those of you who have children who go to school, whether it be private school, public school, whatever it may be, that we will not begin this new fall year just a couple of weeks away with on-site instruction, but it will all be done via distance. I thought of our now what statement today, when you're walking into frightening circumstances, continue to not fear because God is with you. I was thinking about you parents today, who that is your normal mode of education for your kids is being on site somewhere. And how this must be an incredibly frightening time in a lot of ways. And I want to ask you a couple questions. And I think in this area of protecting our children, it couldn't be more spot on with where the word of God is taking us today. But I just want to ask you this question. I want you to know first, before I even ask these questions, Joanna and I are walking in this as well. We still have one at home. Ellie begins her eighth grade year in a couple of weeks. So these aren't just removed issues that don't affect me as well. But in that, I want to ask you a couple hard questions related to who you're trying to protect. First off, are you worried primarily about how this is going to affect your students, your children, or how it's going to primarily affect you? It's a hard question to ask, but it's not one to look out the window. It's one to look in the mirror and ask the question, what am I most concerned about? Is it them or is it me? And the second question, some of us would say, we have an incredibly um, uh, social child in our daughter, Ellie. She struggled so much in that last fourth quarter of the year having to do distance learning. And if we think of it through those lenses of, of parents who want our children to be in social environments and to be mentored by great teachers and they're not going to have that face-to-face contact, I get that. We're deeply concerned about that as well. But I want to remind you of something. Did God know that Governor Newsom was going to say what he said on Friday? Did he not know that decades before your children ever showed up on the planet. And the simple reality is, is God still good? Is he still going to protect? Is he still going to provide for you and for your kids, even though your mode of education is having to change at the beginning of the school year? And I would say these words apply so richly to you, they couldn't have come at a better time. So before you're overly critical of the unbelieving nation who stood at the edge of the promised land and chose sight over faith, simple question for you to consider today. Ask yourself, based on the ways that you've responded in the past to faith crossroads that you have faced, what would you have chosen? Would you have aligned with the two spies and believed God by faith and said, yes, we should go and possess the land he's promised to us? Or would you have aligned with the majority, the majority who said it's better to be safe and let's go with what we can see versus what we have to trust? How you answer that question is crucial because Paul wrote to the Corinthian church that their decisions way back then in the book of Numbers, they act as warnings to us today in our lives and in our walk with the Lord. Look at what Paul wrote. Read this with me. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. 
They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So this is some great theology. Jesus was in the middle of that whole thing. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness, like we've already looked at today. Now these things occurred, watch, occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Skip down to verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages have come. Man, I am a huge fan of not repeating bad history. And that is something that I want to see in my life. I want to see for our church family. Let's learn from these past examples. And I want to kind of frame that today in a point in your notes. I want to frame that today in one specific application. Look in your notes. For many of us, being people of intentional Jesus influence is a pretty scary thing. A thing that we often shrink back from due to our fear of what others will think of us or how they might treat us if we share the good news of Jesus with them. I want to make this particular application. I know we could go in lots and lots of different angles with what do you do as a warning from this nation of Israel, but I want to talk about this. And here's, here's what I want to say from the beginning. I'm, I'm not talking to those of you who have the gift of evangelism. This is something that God has uniquely given you, or maybe you have a personality that's so gregarious and you don't mind talking to anybody about anything, but I'm going to tell you you're the minority. The rest of us, and I'm including myself, are often scared to death to mention this great news that has radically changed our lives, changed our eternity for fear of what are they gonna think, for fear of how are they gonna react, for fear of how are they gonna treat me in the future. That's the majority of us. And the reality is what God has said so clearly in his word is that a huge part of our reason, our purpose for being on the planet as followers of Jesus, as the collective church, is to make known this great news of the gospel to people who have not heard it yet, who have not yet responded to it, who are not yet convinced. And I want you to know that that's not only important in scripture where that matters most, but even your leaders at Trinity Church have embedded that, this idea in our mission, vision, and values. Take a look up on the screen, uh, if I can get my thing to work. There we go. Our mission statement is this, rooted in Jesus, and what is the back half reaching our worlds? I really believe our leadership team agrees that we really believe this is the, the core reason of why we're on the planet. The mission we're to move into is how do we be a people who, the Bible says in Colossians 2, we are rooted in Christ. How do we live out that in our lives? And what does that expression look like in the relational worlds that God has placed us in, that we would be a people of Jesus' influence? Our vision that we started 2020 with that I shared at the very first weekend of that new year, of this new year, expressly has as well, and you'll see that in our annual report, five bullet points that talk about just over the horizon, and they're rich with the idea of being a people of Jesus' influence. And even here, one of our six core values, your calling is to influence others with Jesus. 
So the reality is, is that I just want you to know that Trinity's leaders think this is also a significant and a key part of why we're on the planet and something that we're called to engage. And when you hear God say that, that to you, like he said to Joshua, don't be afraid. I promise to be with you wherever you go. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. When you hear God reassure you of his presence, look in your notes today. When you live in confidence because of God's presence with you, you share his love and life with others, unafraid of their reactions, knowing that you can trust the God who is there. I want to say to you today, for those of you who struggle, for me at times, who struggles with being able to be open and transparent about this great news that's changed my life, let's not be a people who shrink back in fear, who are afraid of what if, but instead go in the presence and the knowledge that God is with us. And his great love is not just for you, but the people in your world as well. Finally today, number three in your notes, faith was needed to respond to God's directives then, just like it's necessary for you to respond to the gospel now. Again, we, we finished our message a couple weeks ago the same way. This same faith that was needed then is absolutely needed now. Here's where we finish today, Hebrews chapter four. Read it with me. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Hebrews chapter 4 is based solely on the narrative that we've been looking at today from the book of Numbers. And it's all about this idea of the author writing about entering into God's rest. And what we just read from verses one and two was then it required faith over sight, faith over fear, confidence over what was threatening to them. And the author of Hebrews plays that back and says, just as that was essential then, so it is today. So it is for us as well. The example is used of this group of former slaves assembled at the edge of the promised land who refused to go in by faith and possess what God had for them. As a result, they were not allowed to enter into God's rest, his place of blessing and refreshment that is only available to those who by faith respond to his directives. So obviously, the readers of the book of Hebrews were not on the edge of the promised land, as it were, awaiting to go in, making a faith decision, a faith oversight, but they may have been struggling to respond in obedience of the kind that's necessary to receive and respond to the gospel. They may have been on the fence wondering, we have this great heritage of this Jewish unique people of God, and what we know is the, the truth of the storyline of the book of Hebrews, Jesus is better than anything God has ever brought before. And a group of people who were wavering on the top of that fence, the author of Hebrews says, step over in faith, believing that Jesus is exactly who you need. And, and what, what is Jesus, and what did he do for them that he's done for us? And what do we need to do in response to that? We need to respond in faith to the accomplished work of Jesus and what he's done on your behalf. It is about admitting 
that you're a sinner who needs a savior. It's about believing that Jesus is the only savior available. It's about choosing to put your weight, your trust, your hope in what Jesus has done for you, not what you can somehow do religiously for him. That's the gospel and that's the response that's needed. Look at this last blank in your notes. Jesus, a prophet greater than Moses or even his successor Joshua would come and not only lead Israel but the world into the ultimate promised land. This is what the author of Hebrews writes about. Salvation through his life, death and resurrection and the hope of heaven. And I just want to leave you with this today. It's that faith crossroads that you are standing in front of today. If you're someone who's never yet responded to the gospel, never responded to this amazing invitation that God has for you stepping in faith to follow him, I just want to hear you to hear me say today, today is the day. And the things that are frightening in your life Man, we have been saying this statement, this C.S. Lewis statement from the very beginning of this season. I remember on Easter bringing this up. God whispers to us in our pleasure, but God shouts to us in our pain. You are going through some painful, difficult times. God is getting your attention. Simple question for you today, are you going to respond in faith or continue to try to work it out yourself in sight. And I'd encourage you, don't let another day go by before you choose faith. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today as your people. God, your people who are living in precarious times, times that are confusing, times that are challenging times that just continue to have wave after wave of disappointment or discouragement or change that just nothing seems to be grounded, nothing seems strong to stand upon. Would we in a time where there is great fear, God, would our confidence in you be greater? Would our faith, as we've seen today, what lacked in this people of Israel, would our faith be that which really relies upon you and believes that your presence among us is so great, so rich, and something we can absolutely count on. If you're here today and you're watching with us, whether it's live or sometime later on, I wanna ask you that question. If you've never responded to the gospel, if you've never said, Jesus, I recognize, I absolutely am broken. I absolutely am someone who's lived my way, not yours. The Bible calls it sin. I need help. The great news is Jesus already knew all of that and he already went ahead of you. And he provided everything you need by living a sinless life, dying a sacrificial death, being raised supernaturally on the third day, putting your faith in the accomplished work of Jesus is your next step. Choosing to say, Jesus, it's not because of something I bring to the table, not something I can do to be good enough for you. You were already good enough. I place my confidence in that and what you've done for me. You can begin that new life in Christ today, no longer being a person who lives by sight, but now living by faith. And I'd encourage you, don't let another moment go by until you respond. Father, this week, would you give us more faith and fear? This week, would you help us take to heart that we need not be afraid because you are our champion. You are the one who has made a way 
You are the one who has provided everything we need. Help us know your presence, know your power. We love you and we pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen.